Round two. Fight. Points in the postseason than they do in the regular season. And Pascal Siakam is one of those players. Here's Kyle Lowry. Lowry makes the three. Isaac just throws it up. And Gasol Excellent. with it. Excellent. Locked in the entire possession. Lowry! A blow by right to the rim. Over to Kyle. Lowry gives it up. Mismatch. Back over to Kyle. The three from the corner from Carlisle. Lowry Siakam got it from Pugluktus. Here's Kawhi, the three, and it's good. Ruthless. 31 to 7. I love it. Killer instinct. Cold-blooded. Playoff pal on the move to the rim. Deep three, and it's good for Fred. Here's Norm now. Drive. Nice pass. Baca. Great pass. And one. Oh, I love it. The ABC is taking every step, and he's passing it. Here's Siakam, corner three, and it's good! Van Vliet, green corner three, splat! Kyle on the inside! What a move! Gasol with the pass, Kawhi, the claw with the cat! Red. Over to Kyle with a slam dunk! With a reputation as a shooter. Abaka slam dunk! And Powell connects! And that's gonna do it, the Toronto Raptors for the first time in franchise history, they've won four in a row in the postseason. After losing game one to the Orlando Magic on a game-winning shot by DJ Augustine, 104-101, the Toronto Raptors were dominant throughout. On a night in which the Sixers just flex their muscle right from the start. The Philadelphia 76ers headed to the Eastern Conference Semis as they are moving on to take out Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors. South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, welcome to episode 117 of the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene.tv network and part of the Overtime Media crew. The Raptors are moving on to round two of the NBA playoffs to face a familiar foe. Maybe this is destiny and the Philadelphia 76ers, and we're going to break it all down today. Joining me tonight is Lior Kozai of Death Pen Hoops. Lior, I have to ask you, all right, so check this out. Did you get any phone calls from the Raptors, you know, because of that jump shot to replace <laughs> Eric Moreland or Jody Meeks? I might have got some calls, not going to lie. <laughs> 
Uh, I gotta say, man, like, it, it, you know, you referenced the elbow in the video, and I re I saw it. I was like, maybe he needs to tuck that in, and I saw your tweet. You know, like, been shooting like this for years, man. It ain't going anywhere. So, yeah. like, who am I to evaluate someone's form? Yeah, I mean, when I used to play for, like, high school teams, middle school, and then, like, some rough teams, like, I was always the shooter. And, I mean, I'm not as good now as I was probably, like, grade 11, 12, but, uh, but yeah, like I always, even when I was a good shooter, like still my elbow was pretty much untucked. So I just thought that was kind of funny. I knew someone would mention it if I uh, posted a video of it. So I figured I should. Yeah, whatever, kind of man. I mean, it, yeah. it still drops, I mean, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's pretty fun. I was like, once school was over, just wanted to get in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you if you think about it, you can sort of use that as like a defensive mechanism for people to come at you from the side, you know, to like try to swat it away. Maybe like, oh, I'm not going anywhere near there because if I catch an elbow to the eye, you know, it's game over for me. Yeah, and like get it in gift form kind of makes it. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, you uh, you had you had a nice little little shot there, went in, and uh, you know if, if what we're seeing with the Raptors. Uh, they may not need a lot of shooting, but, you know, if you have an opportunity to replace Eric Moreland, you know, why not? Why not? Maybe you can don number 15 from now on. <laughs> Did you see that tweet? Um, there was like a little controversy. Uh, Josh Lewinberg made like a little joke about how um, how Drake lost his locker because of... Uh, uh, because Eric Moreland became the 15th man. Yes, I did. And yeah. Yeah, and Eric Moreland kind of got a little upset about that and was like cussing him out in the locker room and like, <laughs> like wow. Yeah, I mean, of all things to go at, first of all, not just a reporter, but like sort of a a mainstay reporter in in Toronto yeah. for TSN. Um, I mean, I I would assume Moreland doesn't really have this familiar base with who is you know mainstays in terms of media personnel, but. I mean, what a petty thing. I don't want to shit on him too much, but come on, what a no, petty yeah. thing to get upset about. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe Lewinberg shouldn't have sent the tweet just because, like, you never know how jokes will go over. Just, like, people misread it all the time. But, like, also, I mean, that's kind of scary. Like, just any huge, like, 250-pound, like, obviously tough, strong guy, like, cussing you out is in your workplace is kind of, like, you're just going to be like taken aback, of course. That's true. From what I understand, that they squashed it anyway. So it's all. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. He's not representing that number 15 properly, man. You got to represent <laughs> number. When you wear number 15, you already have a target on your back for the Raptors. Yeah. I mean, it's not just Vince Carter. <sighs> Speaking of Vince Carter, man, like, <laughs> are you getting any sense of deja vu with Raptors Phillies round two? <laughs> Second round two. And, um, they're both like, I mean, I think this Raptors team is better, but yeah, I mean, they're both kind of similar level teams and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's a lot of stuff there, but also they're playing Amir Johnson, another Raptors number 15 on the end of Philly's bench. Oh, man. I, I mean, look, this is, um, I, I did have my fun with the Orlando series. I thought it was, you know, a game one, notwithstanding, I thought, the remainder of the series was going to be pretty entertaining as a Raptors fan, and we weren't let down. But uh, I don't want to jump too much ahead in terms of predictions or anything, but I will be honest with you, and I don't know if you are in the same boat, but I do feel a lot more uneasy about this series than I did compared to Orlando. We'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, all right. Let me set the landscape here. So the Raptors were able to finish round one of the playoffs against the Magic in five games. As I mentioned, after a rocky start, the Raptors never really looked back and proved that, you know, as we all know, they had the most talented roster on the floor. And at the end of the day, cream rises to the top. But next, as I mentioned, in round two, they have the Sixers, who in their own right trampled on the Nets in five games as well. And they're looking pretty good. That being said, in a general sense... How do you feel, A, about the Raptors' round one victory, and B, their chances on heading in, their chances heading into round two? Um, so about the victory, I think, honestly, this was as dominant, not only as we've ever, ever seen the Raptors in, like, this era, like the post-2014 um, kind of Kyle Lowry's era, but it's also probably the most dominant series they've had in franchise history. I mean... They've never won a series in less than six games, a seven-game series. And when they won a five-game series, like it went to the brink to five games, right? Right, right. And um, I was just pulling up the lineup numbers. Um, I mean, the starting lineup was had a plus 46.3 net rating, which is just <sighs> insane. I mean, that can't even – it's not even possible to sustain over a full season, obviously. But – they were just ridiculous. And it was the second best starting lineup in the league in the first round behind only Philly starting lineup. So obviously that's something to look for. And, um, and yeah, they were just, they were really, really good. Lowry looked really sharp after game one. Um, Kawhi and Siakam were good the entire series aside from maybe Kawhi's kind of flu game in game three. And um, and Marcus Gasol was just proving that that trade was well worth it, like with the way he defended Vucevic and he pretty much shut him down and cost him a lot of money, <laughs> probably in free agency. I um, I, I have I have no disagreement with you because like for from what I saw in game one, everybody was freaking out. Right. And <laughs> it, there was a part of me that was like is this narrative about Kyle Lowry choking in the playoffs true? And then you have to remind yourself like, all right, first of all, I think that narrative is a little overblown. It's a little embellished. Um, he's not nearly as bad as people think, but then again, he's not great either. That sort of flipped around with this series. And I think that Kyle Lowry didn't get enough credit from games two through five. Uh, he didn't get enough credit as much as he deserved. Um, you're right about Kawhi Leonard. He wasn't good for just one game. Every other game, he sort of like turned the switch defensively. And even on the offensive side, you really got to feel for what this quote-unquote playoff Kawhi was all about. Like you hear about it, right? And if you weren't really watching uh, his tenure with the Spurs when he won the finals and the finals MVP, if you weren't watching that, or even when he was almost on the brink of eliminating Golden State pretty much single-handedly, um, if you weren't watching that, I'm sure this was a pleasant surprise to see just how good Kawhi Leonard is and just how much of an impact a player like this can have on a team and their aspirations towards a championship. And lastly, you mentioned Gasol. Um, again, it, it's sort of, not to jump forward a bit, but it sort of reminded me of how Kawhi completely eliminates Simmons against mm-hmm. the Phillies, I mean the 76ers. Uh, <laughs> Gasol did a, did a very good job of eliminating Vucevic um, to the point where like, this is an all-star we're talking about. Like, and we were under the impression that he was going to have a pretty decent series against the Raptors, but it's pretty incredible that a trade line, a trade deadline acquisition was able to completely neutralize him. 
Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. And I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into it, the matchup against Embiid, but that's just um, like, there was a lot of talk at the deadline, like, is this going to be worth it? And I was kind of on the on the side of um, like, it's pretty low risk because if this team blows up, then Valentinus isn't going to be that valuable to them going forward or um, they were never really utilizing him to his potential anyway. And then Dolan Wright was a free agent. And obviously the rest is not like um, the rest of that package was not like a big deal to them. And right. really the question was just, are they going to maximize Marcus And I was always on the boat of we should be looking at him as a starter and he should be starting permanently. I didn't really like the idea of the back and forth because you look at these playoff matchups and pretty much every matchup was always going to be Marcus um starting it would have been a better matchup than Ibaka and particularly the Philly matchup which we knew pretty early was going to be the second round matchup unless some crazy upset happened it would be the two three matchups so that's the most important matchup for Gasol and having him do that kind of work against Vucevic and just take him out of the series in the first round just bodes really well do you get the sense that, you know, we, we talk about, or we have talked about, rather, this aspect of uh, load management for Kawhi Leonard and how important that was for him to be fresh in the playoffs. Did you get the sense that while not risking, you know, getting acclimated with the team and the plays and, you know, at risk of completely um, foregoing any sense of chemistry, do you get the sense that Gasol's form of quote-unquote load management was coming off the bench for this team? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it definitely helped, like, preserve his body. Like, it may have been an unintentional side effect and, like, a positive one, obviously. Right. Um, But I don't think, I think they were generally torn between Ibaka and Gasol. And, like, they were trying to see the positives of either. And, I mean, that made sense because, because of how they did it with Valanchunas and Ibaka, at least before Valanchunas got hurt. But... I just felt like Gasol was clearly the better player. And this is kind of why I get annoyed when people just bring up point totals because Gasol does so many other things and his value isn't in scoring, much like Lowry. And there are a lot of parallels kind of between them at their respective positions. So Gasol just with the way he's defending and the passing, the way he makes the offense feel more fluid and his three-point range, which Ibaka really hasn't found this year, even though his mid-range has been good. Um, just Gasol brings so many things to the table and, um, and even though, so going back to your question, like, even though they were alternating them, I felt like they were kind of trying to figure out who is the starter. And I mean, either way, Gasol didn't have to play that many minutes because Ibaka was really good in the regular season. So, um, so they could kind of manage him and not overexert him and save his energy for the playoffs while still, um. Well, still, I would have just made him the starter to kind of get comfortable with that lineup. But either way, I think it's working out for them because uh, he's obviously not too tired and he's not playing too many minutes. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, you, you touched on a good point. A lot of people like to look at the offense, like on the stat line. Like they want to look at the, the scoring, right? Like if you're not scoring points, <clears throat> Kyle Lowry game one, <clears throat> if you're not scoring <laughs> points, you're sort of like viewed as useless, right? That's the first knee-jerk reaction people go to. They just want to look at how many points did he score. Um, 
with Gasol, yeah, he he's a good scorer. Like he is. He does like he has a sneaky good mid range jump shot that like Valanciunas only had like in specific areas, like at the elbow. Mm-hmm. But it seems like Gasol can shoot like pretty much, you know, like inside the three pointer around the perimeter. It, it's pretty it's pretty nice. Um, but the communication that he provides as like sort of the the second general on the floor like obviously Kyle Lowry is the general on the floor to sort of get things moving and to be the playmaker but Gasol has that ability to be that like sort of big point guard for, without the ball handling skills and whatnot yeah and kind of like a defensive anchor on one end and then kind of a they call it like a hub from the elbows like obviously not as good as Jokic but kind of that type of player where you play off of him and he's making the passes, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great thing that, you know, for the Raptors to have, especially at this time, um, you know, heading into round two against a guy like Embiid. I'm sure we're going to break that down a little bit more in detail, but, you know, go, calling back to the original uh, question, how do you feel about this team heading into round two? Um, I mean, I've never felt more confident in a team. Um, obviously, we're going to get into the individual stuff earlier but i just feel like um in this particular raptors team just matches up really well with philly and philly well philly was great in round one after game one um they at least were challenged a little bit like game four came down to the wire and i mean i'm just i see Embiid like like Embiid still you never know with him um in terms of his health like and you don't know how many minutes he can play. And I think when he's off the floor, the Raptors can just destroy the Sixers. Like the Sixers are just a disaster sometimes with him on the bench. When Simmons is really thriving, maybe they can um, they can kind of save those minutes. But in this particular matchup, is kind of tough for Simmons against Kawhi. And just the fact that um, they struggle so much with him being on the bench and he can only really play a limited number of minutes because of all his injuries. That kind of looks really good for the Raptors because like you're basically, if you can neutralize those Embiid minutes or even win them sometimes, especially with how good the starting five has been, then the rest of the game is just, they can go crazy. Do you see that kind of thing or are you more concerned with anything in particular? Oh, I think that the Raptors in terms of like what you touched on with Embiid, I think that, you know, in a vacuum, Embiid is a, a very outstanding player. Like he has the ability to to really be a difference maker in this series if he stays healthy. Right? And I think that that is a key part of this uh, playoff matchup that, you know, health is going to be a major thing that the the 76ers are going to have to pay attention to because if Embiid is, it, it, I think it's tendonitis in his knee. Is that the issue with mm-hmm. him? Yeah, all right. So if, um, yeah, if his knee is acting up, which, you know, to to give them the benefit of the doubt, he's not on the injury report currently. But if his knee does flare out again and flare up, like he can't afford to miss a game like he could have afforded to miss against Brooklyn. So I I think that the success of the 76ers in this series is going to heavily rely on on Embiid. The, The thing that benefits the Raptors, I think, the most is besides, you know, health question marks with Embiid, I think home court advantage is a real big thing for this series in particular. 
Um, you know, looking at the optics heading into the next round, if we get that far, the presumed opponent will be the Bucks, where we don't have home court advantage. So I think the Raptors right now really need to take advantage of this opportunity because this may be the last time they have it unless they, you know, overcome these conference finals should they get there and overcome that and to get in, to get into the NBA finals, whoever they face. So I don't know. I think that there's a lot swaying in the Raptors' favor, but arguably for the 76ers, this may be the best starting five in the NBA. Um, yeah, they definitely have an argument for that. I mean, that's why you go and get Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. I mean, the question kind of with them all year is that um, can you maximize those guys, right? Can you get Jimmy Butler, who is viewed as kind of a top 12 to 15 player, can you get Tobias Harris as like a borderline all-star? And we'll have to see in this series, but as great as they've been as a unit, they kind of haven't reached that peak. We've seen like Tobias Harris had a 33 point game in the, in I think game three of the first round. And then Jimmy Butler had like a 36 point game, but they've kind of, they never all peak at the same time. And that's kind of the weakness I think is that you only get like two or three of those five having great nights. And I think really, like you said, I think it comes down to Embiid. I think he's the one, he's the one guy who can kind of help them reach that ceiling versus the other four are all great players. Maybe Simmons too. If Simmons gets to that maximum, that kind of whatever he had, like 31 and 11 game, when those two are peaking and especially Embiid, that's kind of when they're at their best. But it's hard to even have those two peak at the same time because Embiid's kind of a half court player and Simmons is best in transition. So that's really the question. And also the Sixers depth, right? I mean, just looking at their bench, they basically have three bench guys. They played last series and Boban, you don't know if he's going to play Mike Scott is out for game one and James Ennis is James Ennis. So you're basically looking at like a five man team. So there's a lot of interesting, um, kind of it's going to be interesting to see how the rotations work with Philly's bench versus Toronto's and um, and kind of all those coaching games. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. When you look at the starting fives for each individual team, they seem like on paper that they'd be pretty evenly matched. But I, I completely agree with you that in terms of the Raptors starting five, there's some consistency there. Like, like I mentioned, game one aside for Kyle Lowry, Pretty much the majority of the starting five for the Raptors have been firing on all cylinders. I say the majority because what concerns me on the Raptors' end of the starting five is uh, Danny Green. Danny Green hasn't been having the best of playoffs uh, thus far. I know it's only been five games, but that's something that really concerns me. And I don't know if there's like a health concern with him. I know towards the end of the year he was battling something. So I kind of wanted to get your take on that. Do you have concerns with Green? First of all, have you noticed a a sort of decline in production with Green these past five games? And if so, does that concern you heading into the series? Um, it's actually kind of a like split answer because I do think Green has dropped off, but I don't really think it will make as big a difference as we might anticipate. Um, I definitely think I think a lot of it might just be variance in that. He kind of he missed some open shots, makeable shots. He didn't look like he didn't he didn't look like he was um, like he was hurt or like those shots were not way off. They were just like regular misses, right? Mm-hmm. And those are shots that he might still get, and I think he'll make them. Like it just kind of 
comes down to missing or making. I didn't think he looked like really off or anything different than normal. I know he had like the ankle issue near the end of the season and he didn't look like he was walking like or running like improperly or anything. Um, in terms of like how it will affect the game, I mean, you definitely want Green on the defensive end, but I think he's the most, he's definitely the most replaceable starter. Would you agree? Like out of the Raptors starting five and um, yeah. And I mean, Norman Powell played pretty well in the Orlando series, so you can kind of slot him in. You definitely want Danny to be producing at his best, but I think the Raptors just have like um, just such a well-rounded starting five that it doesn't really, they don't really need that one guy to be producing that much like they can find scoring elsewhere and then it's just it just comes down to getting that wing defense what do you think i i agree i think of the starting five uh he is perhaps the most replaceable however i do think like given what we talked about with gasol and ibaka you could make the argument for that because they're pretty Mm -hmm. decently interchangeable um but in terms of you know if if you know, if we didn't have the luxury of having two starting potential centers, um, I do, I guess you could throw Norman Powell in there. I just kind of like I, I understand your point. Like, if this becomes an issue, yeah. Danny Green could be subbed out or could be you know replaced as a starter if this continues. Um, obviously, I don't anticipate it to be you know a continuing factor, but you know we we like to lay into Kyle Lowry for having an offer. But I didn't hear anybody bat an eye about Danny Green having an offering game too, and I'm sure people are listening to this and being like, "Really? He didn't score a single point? No, didn't score a single point." Yeah, I mean, I heard you guys talk on the last podcast, and I agreed with most of it. Like, you can't defend an All Star having a zero point game. He's got to score, but at the same time, he had like a nine point game, and I don't know if it was seven, twelve, something like that, and he still played extremely well in those games later in the series. I think it was just overblown a lot, um, just how bad he was, because I saw Raptors fans, I saw, like, like I just had this tweet that um, that Greg Anthony called him the fourth best player, and I said, like, ban this guy from TV, he called Lowry the fourth <laughs> best player on the Raptors, and then it suddenly blew up with people saying, haha, this aged well, and it's like, Lowry was still probably the fourth best player for the Raptors, even on his worst night. Like, he's still the floor general. Everyone made kind of the big deal about plus 11 and whatever. Okay, that's kind of silly, but he obviously needed to play better. I just don't think he was that bad. I think he still did other things well because Lowry always does other things well when he's not shooting well. And then the rest of the series, he got his shot going. He was obviously a little more aggressive, which is what he needs to do. And that's kind of um, when he got to, like, peak Lowry, when he got the 22 points when he's taking three charges and a half and just doing all the things that make Kyle Lowry who he is. And I mean, obviously you can't. So obviously the zero point game is a problem, but I just don't think it was that bad. And, and it's like zero just stands out on a box score. Right. And yeah, I mean, we can go back to Danny. I just wanted to get that. I think it, it calls back to what you were saying about Gasol is that the first thing people look at are the points. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to Kyle Lowry, he has this stigma surrounding him that if he has an off night in the playoffs, people are going to highlight that maybe unfairly. So, 
Um, as I mentioned, people uh, like to over-embellish his uh, poor playoff performance. Like I said, I don't think it's bad. I think it's average if you look at the, the entire career numbers. Um, but yeah. I just think I think it was ironic that Danny Green pulls an over. <laughs> we win the game, so I guess that's yeah. what makes it that not much of a big deal, right? And plus, he was a plus 23 in the game. So like maybe if people were holding on to the plus 11 for Kyle Lowry, you have a plus 23 for Danny Green, so... <laughs> I mean, Green's not an all-star, right? So he's, like, not expected to do that, I guess. And, yeah, I mean, just going back to, like, the original point about Danny is that I don't think they really need him to score, right? He's a 3 and D guy, and you don't, like, they don't really run plays for him. They don't really run him off screens, maybe on inbounds plays a little bit after timeouts and stuff, but not really, um, like, in set plays. They're not running Danny around screens the way Philly runs Reddick, right? So no, that's true. Yeah, I mean, he just kind of needs those catch and shoots when they help a little more on Kawhi or when um, Siakam drives and draws the help, right? You need Danny to knock those down. But, I mean, they don't need him to be a big-time scorer. It's just it's kind of a luxury when you get that fifth starter getting, like, three or four threes and kind of spacing the floor a little bit a little bit better for Kawhi. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And they have enough uh, weapons in the arsenal on the floor to sort of mitigate it if he is having an off night. And the same thing with Kyle Lowry, right? Um, but, you know, we have Danny Green on this team to primarily shoot threes, be a 3 and D guy. Like, this is a 3 and D guy that we've been waiting for ever since, like, you know, Damari Carroll came to the team. This is what we were promising. And, you know, a couple yeah. years later, here we go. We get it as a quote-unquote throw-in. <laughs> um but, you know, that being said, shooting 36% in the playoffs, albeit still only five games, I kind of would like to see that creep up a little bit for Danny Green. Like, this is someone that, you know, against a Phillies team that has the ability to shoot the ball from, like, Redick if he's on or Harris or even Butler. Like, this is going to be the time that I think that we can't have that kind of performance. It needs to be a little bit more uh, reliable when it comes to his threes. Yeah, for sure. That's fair. I just, I guess I'm not worried because I kind of feel like Danny has those stretches where he just doesn't make shots. And we, most of the time he's going to make them like he had like a three for seven threes game, which is pretty good, like 37% or, um, and he had, yeah, I mean, he obviously struggled, but at least he was still playing good defense, still doing kind of, um, the rest of his job. But yeah, I totally agree. Like he's got to make those shots next round. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the Gasol and Bead matchup because I think this is what uh, we need to break down in a little bit more detail. Um, as we mentioned, Embiid is going to be the biggest, uh, you know, component for this 76ers team if they're going to be successful. Uh, the problem is against Marc Gasol, the numbers aren't that good. Uh, five games, <laughs> two and three record, he averages 14 points against Gasol, uh, 4.4 turnovers, a 34% field goal percentage, uh, and uh, I, I don't even care about the three-point percentage because let, let <laughs> Embiid shoot all the threes. I don't care. Um, but when it comes to Gasol, I think he matches up better than we you know, may think, just you know, thinking about Embiid and how, because you know, when you think about Embiid, you think you know, he's got a lot of power, he's got a lot of body on him, and he, and he might be able to you know, use that physicality in his advantage if he's not throwing around elbows. But at the same time, um, I think Gasol is a, a pretty good, if not great, defender. Um, and if anything that we've seen with Vucevic, if that was any story to tell for round two, I think we're going to be okay against Embiid. 
Yeah, I mean, that's like, like I said, like, that's why you acquire him, right? To guard and beat. And then it's kind of been well documented. Like, this is the guy who's like one of the best defenders against Embiid. My only concern would be if he gets in foul trouble. And that's kind of what you have to worry about that we saw it in game three against Orlando where he got in foul trouble against Vucevic. And then Ibaka just struggles not because Ibaka is not a good defender, but because these guys are just so much bigger than him. And he really just, he can't do anything against a guy like Embiid, who's like, God, I think five inches on him and just like a lot of muscle and can just take him in the post and back him down. So I just hope that um, Gasol stays out of foul trouble and you can play him kind of almost match Embiid's minutes because like we said before, like Embiid's not playing that many minutes. So if Gasol can play like low 30s in minutes, that would be fantastic. And just stick on that Embiid matchup almost that whole time. You know, in fairness, people like to, and I'm not you know, criticizing what you were saying, and, uh, people like to focus on that game where Gasol was in early foul trouble and Serge came in and sort of had to take a little bit of time to pick it up. But there was, you know, towards the end of that game or towards when Gasol came back in, in the fourth, Surge started to get a feel for it, oh, right? Yeah. It, it was it wasn't nearly as bad as it was at the jump. So, not that I think that that will be the same recipe for Embiid versus Ibaka, but you know, I do think in terms of the physicality, maybe Ibaka matches up just a little bit better because. I'm not saying Gasol isn't fearless, but Abaka is definitely not fearless. So when it, you know when it comes to maybe a potential, I don't know, throw of hands or something or a little chip <laughs> foul, I don't think Abaka is having any of that. I think Abaka is physical. Like he he he'll body him up. Like he'll work hard. I just think Embiid like Embiid has a lot of weight on him, and that's just like you can't overcome that. Like Ibaka will be physical and he won't like give it up. He won't just let him be, do whatever he wants. But I just think he's outmatched physically. And that's kind of where the mismatch comes. And it's like exponentially worse than um, against Vucevic. And it's not like a slight to Ibaka or anything. It's just his kind of best skill is rim protection as a defender. Whereas Gasol is great at the post defense, right? Yeah. Against like such a huge guy. And, um, and that's just kind of where you get, like where Serge is going to struggle, I think. Um, with that said, yeah, you're right. Like he did do a much better job in um, kind of later in that game. And he was part of the 16 all run against the Magic, I think, in that uh, game three. You're moving on to the to the rest of the lineup, or rather these two individuals, uh, Ben Simmons. I think that this is well documented how well Kawhi Leonard defends him. Uh, in three games, 0-3 record, 13-point average, Eight turnovers average. That yeah, yeah. I, I, I recall when he was playing Kawhi once this year, he had a triple double, which included turnovers. So I think that when you have Kawhi Leonard um matched up against him B, I mean sorry, Simmons, my hope is that A, Nurse doesn't mess with that at all. Like keep that as is. Don't get cute and have Kawhi, you know, put Kawhi on maybe a Jimmy Butler or Harris. Don't keep him on Simmons. Make Simmons a complete non-factor because I think this, uh, on the defensive end rather, this five-on-four fest that the Raptors can sort of exploit will work very much to their benefit. But do you think that this is something that will carry over into this round or do you think maybe Simmons has found a switch that he's flipped as a result of the Brooklyn series and that he's sort of out for blood right now. 
Um, I totally agree with you. Like, don't get too cute. Keep the matchups the same. Like, I've heard some people say, like, um, you kind of want to save Kawhi, like, not make him exert that constant energy on Simmons. But, I mean, this is the playoffs. Like, I think maybe not every minute you don't want him, like, 37 minutes a game, like, constantly on Ben Simmons. But as much as possible, I think you've got to get Kawhi on Simmons. I think it will carry over. Um, people kind of think like, I think there are people who just say that like Simmons is not like a playoff player. Cause he had like a one point game against Boston last year. And like, and he just can't play because of his shooting or his lack of shooting. And I don't think that's true. I think he can be successful in the right setting. I just think against Kawhi Leonard, I don't know if he can be successful. And I think Kawhi is by far the best. I mean, maybe not by far because the Raptors happen to have like three or four of like the best possible defenders for Simmons, but Kawhi is just a great defender for Simmons and, um, and they should keep that matchup the same. And particularly you want to limit that kind of the transition chances. Cause that's where Simmons is at his best. And when he gets going downhill, that's where he can dominate. And Kawhi, we saw in the regular season, just got so many steals and deflections and kind of knocking the ball away from him in transition. And that's where you can just completely turn him into a non-factor. Yeah, it seems almost effortless when Kawhi is guarding Simmons. That It just seems like child's play to the point where you kind of feel bad for Simmons in a way <laughs> because the matchup is just so unfair. And I think, as I mentioned, it's advantageous for the Raptors, and I just don't want... Nurse to mess with that, but it's the remaining uh, starting figures on each team that I'm concerned with in terms of matchups because you got Harris, Butler, and Reddick. Assuming that they go with those three in the starting lineup, I have no reason to believe that they wouldn't. Um, with Siakam, Lowry, and Green, um, I don't know how you use that to your advantage because it seems like at that point the uh, the Sixers have a little bit more size and physicality with those three individuals that the Raptors might not have in terms of defense. So I just don't know what the proper matchup on the Raptors end defensively would be against those three. Yeah, I mean, I've seen different like ideas. Like I think in the regular season, they mostly, I mean, they didn't have this matchup actually, right? Because right. Harris wasn't there yet. Um, so we were mostly like Mike Muscala started the last game against the Raptors, right? So like Siakam was just kind of chilling over there because yeah. he's Mike Muscala. Um, I would expect probably um, Siakam on Harris, Green on Butler, and Lowry chasing Redick. Um, we've kind of seen Lowry chase that type of guy, right? Like a little bit on Fournier last round, and then last year's playoffs he chased Beal. And I think Lowry can keep up. But if you want to preserve Lowry a little bit, I've seen people suggest like you could put him on Harris or Butler and just kind of dare them. Like, yes, you guys want to post up. This is Kyle Lowry. Like you can't post up Kyle Lowry and they don't have the space for it because Embiid and Simmons kind of want to hang in the paint. So and then to go with that, Lowry's already a great post defender. So if they're going to force feed post ups, go ahead. Right. So um. I'd feel kind of comfortable with any of those. Uh, they put Siakam on Butler a little bit, and that kind of worked well in the regular season. And I think that's kind of the greatness of this Raptors team is that they can switch one to four, right? And they have, like, all these really good defenders. And even Lowry, who's way shorter than everyone else, is still, like, really a really stout, strong guy, and he's not going to get pushed over in the post. 
Um, what do you think? Yeah, I'm just, I'm not sure. Like, I, I think Lowry is a, a great, versatile defender that, like, he, he's just fearless, right? He's the definition of the bulldog. Um, I don't know that I really want to waste him on a guy like Reddick because he just kind of chokes in the playoffs. I'm sort of relying on that narrative here. Um, I'd rather see him, as you mentioned, go up against a guy like Butler to sort of contain him because Lowry's had some pretty good hands so far defensively this this playoffs. Um, I guess at that point you would just stick Green on Reddick and Siakam on Harris. I think that would be the best bet. My only worry is kind of that Green, like Danny's a great defender, but he's like he's lost a step a little. Like he's a little bit slow, yeah. just um laterally, right? And chasing a guy around. I don't know if he can do that for that many minutes. To be fair, like Danny doesn't play that many minutes, right? He's usually sub thirty and then Norman Powell does a good job chasing that type of player. So you could go with that. You can kind of mix it up, right? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I just, I don't really want to force Butler to beat them, maybe just because of, like, being scarred from the Bulls, beating the Raptors 13 straight times. Oh, yeah. And Jimmy Butler just going to work. But uh, but at the same time, like I said, right, um, they don't really have space for anyone to post up besides Embiid. So, um so maybe that is the guy you want to put Lowry on. I think it's kind of hard to go wrong in these matchups besides um, the ones we mentioned, like Embiid, Gasol, and Kawhi Simmons. Yeah, it's. I, I'm going to be really interested to what not how Nurse manages these rotations because you know and, and these matchups because I think you're right. I think we're probably going to see an increase of Norman Powell minutes. Um, just because of the the fatigue factor that maybe Danny is suffering through and that Powell might have as his advantage. Um, Powell is, this is playoff Powell, right? This is what we're <laughs> we're anticipating in terms of a defensive matchup and some of the offense that he had flashes of against Orlando. Yeah, man, yeah. He's <laughs> he's had those two dunks, man. It was it was brilliant. But, like, this is what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. This, this is the type of game or the type of series that I really think the Raptors would benefit having an OG and an OB on the floor. I totally agree. Yeah, so frustrating. Uh-huh. Can I just ask you, um, I actually find it interesting. Who do you think the Sixers will use? Um, like, where do you think the Sixers will match up with the Raptors? Like, we know they'll have him beat on so, um Who do you think they'll be guarding the Raptors guys with? That's a good question. I think Redick will primarily be guarding Lowry. Um, I really? think, yeah. I Because I, maybe, if not him, it's going to be Butler. I, I feel like Redick guards Danny Green, right? Because they just kind of want to hide him. Yeah, put sick, yeah. Yeah, that's true. He's not going to move that much. Um, then Harris on, what, Siakam and Butler yeah. on Lowry? Yeah, that yeah, that seems to be like the general consensus, I think. I'm just curious because I feel like whoever Harris is guarding, that's kind of um, that's kind of the X factor in that, like, you can exploit that guy mm-hmm. every time. I mean, Harris is a great player, but Siakam just, we saw, I posted, like, I checked his um, his true shooting percentage against Evan Fournier, or his effective field goal percentage was 100% because he was 9 of 10 with two threes. Like, every time you just go to Siakam and he takes Evan Fournier either off the dribble or in the post, I think if he guards Siakam, which is kind of the most natural matchup, like, you're just going to Siakam in the post and attacking, right? So, yeah, um, yeah so I feel like that's a great chance for the Raptors to exploit them. 
Yeah, and you know there was talk coming into the Orlando season, a uh, season series, about how Isaac was going to be this lockdown defender, Siakam's going to stop him, and this it just didn't happen. So I think right now, if the Raptors are going to be able to exploit that matchup and have Siakam, uh, real man, wow, I'm looking at my chops now. That'd be uh like I said it from the onset, this is going to be Siakam's playoffs. Like just in general, like this is going to be. He already broke out in the regular season. Just imagine that extra step in the playoffs. Yeah, I feel like there was the stigma. I mean, I don't know if it was for Siakam, but there's like a lot of, um, a lot of the time, like with these guys who get a lot of points off hustling and in transition, people kind of think, oh, well, that's not going to translate to the playoffs. It's slower paced, like you don't get that many chances. And while that was right, like he didn't get that many leak outs and easy dunks. Like he just dominated in the half court because he's a skilled player. Yeah. Like he's a really good isolation player and people are starting to to notice because Isaac is a good defender and he just, it didn't matter because Siakam is just so skilled right now. And um, as an ISO player and in the pick and roll, even as the ball handler sometimes. So um, yeah, definitely Siakam will be a huge factor in the series. And I mean, Lowry as well, we'll see who they choose to defend him, whether it's Butler or they kind of like have, they like having Simmons guard point guards. So we'll see if they go with him on Kawhi or him on Lowry. Oh man. I hope he goes up against Kawhi. Just let that happen. (laughs) I just, you know, what what bothers me about the the playoff, the feel of the playoffs thus far is that again, I, I don't expect, the 76ers to do anything differently in this regard. But with Orlando, they came out physical from the jump, right? And they set the tone for physicality against, especially against Kawhi from the very beginning mm-hmm. of the series. And I think that's why he wasn't getting the calls that, you know, he should have gotten or maybe would have gotten yeah. in the regular season. And if the 76ers do the same, uh, I know we're looking our chops against Kawhi versus Simmons, but this may be a very frustrating series for the Raptors and especially yeah. for Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, and I mean, the Sixers get a lot of calls because Embiid is just so hard to stop without fouling, right? So they, I think they have the highest free throw rate of any team in the playoffs so far. So, I mean, <laughs> the bring out the Toronto conspiracies because, uh, yeah, they're gonna, people are going to be complaining a lot about calls i think just because of the way this series is going to go um having said that which player are you relying on the most for the raptors and which player concerns you the most it doesn't have to be in the starting unit it could be for the bench too um so we kind of touched on siakam um i'm curious how lowry i mean lowry it's always a question right like is he going to be kind of the more aggressive player or kind of hanging back and letting other guys do their thing. And I mean, it's almost for me, like whoever Harris is guarding is might be the guy. Like, I don't like if he's on Siakam, I think that's a problem. If I don't think they would put him on Lowry, maybe if they think like, Oh, Lowry's not being a scorer, they can kind of hide Harris on him. And then I think Lowry needs to be aggressive. So you need to take advantage of that. And I mean, yeah, the same thing with Reddick, right? Like getting him in pick and rolls, getting him switched onto the those guys at the top scores. But from the Raptors, it's hard to pick out like a single guy besides just um maybe Marcus guarding Embiid and staying out of foul trouble. So um who's your X Factor? All right, so the one I'm relying on the most is obviously Pascal. We touched on it for the same reasons because I think he's going to be, you know, arguably he's been the best uh player 
in the, for the playoffs it, for the Raptors this yeah, so far. There's an argument for sure. Yeah. Um, the one that concerns me the most, and it's not in the starting unit, it's Fred. Right, the, the Raptors have an opportunity to really take advantage of the Sixers' lack of depth, right? And if if you can use these these bench minutes to the Raptors' advantage, that's going to be huge in swaying the pendulum for this team. Um, the bench has the the tendency to cough it up a bunch, um, and it's very frustrating. Like they 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 tend to you know eliminate leads or at least you know shorten them up a bit that their starting unit has established. So. I need Fred Van Vliet to be a little bit better with his decision making. Um, the scoring is there; like he, the scoring is fine. He he's sort of ticked that up. I'm not really worried about that. It's just the playmaking. Um, I need him to be a little bit more aggressive. I need him to be a little bit more precise with his playmaking uh, decisions. If that can happen, I think the Raptors have an easy path to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, um, I totally agree that. Um... Yeah, Fred's just decision-making, and we've kind of seen it all year, right, when he's with the bench units, right? He's kind of the one making, like, the one um, kind of controlling the offense and facilitating, and it hasn't really worked. Like, he's better off the ball as a catch-and-shoot guy, kind of in Danny's role, but with the starter sometimes. And I think this is a really tough series for him because the Sixers don't play McConnell anymore. Like, they're presumably like their rotation when they were all healthy um in their final game before it was kind of a blowout was they had the five starters plus Boban, Mike Scott and James Ennis and you're really not finding any spots for the two point guard lineup because one of them's going to have to guard like a big guy the Sixers are just huge so right i mean Lowry can kind of guard positions up but you really don't have many spots for Fred and um, maybe you can hide on Ennis a little bit, maybe on Redick because he can kind of chase those guys around, but it's going to be tough, especially with, um, with all the Sixers big wing guys. So it will be interesting to see. Maybe they limit Fred's minutes and just, um, and just kind of play him like 15, 20 minutes and no, um, no dual point guard minutes and instead just play Lowry the rest of the game. Um, but I don't know what the solution is. Like he was really, really bad in the Orlando series. Like the point totals weren't that bad, like you said, but he just, his decision-making was awful. He was over dribbling. It was kind of, he was great after his, after coming back from injury late in the regular season. And, but before that he really struggled and kind of all those struggles came back in the playoffs, maybe just because it's the playoffs and the defense is tougher, but he just had those same decision-making issues. So um, it's definitely something to watch, and that's a great call. I wouldn't have even thought of him. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Yeah, you know, it, it's not just him, too. This sort of uh, lends credence to how Nurse is going to utilize the rotations, right, and how he's going to operate this. Um, you know, we touched on maybe the whole Gasol playing bench minutes in the regular season was his form of load management. Maybe Kawhi not, you know, averaging 40 minutes or near there, um, is another form of load management against Orlando. Like maybe, you know, uh, actually definitely, Raptors fan after game one, they were sort of freaking out for no reason. <laughs> maybe Nurse was like, dude, yeah. this is the magic. Like, we got this. Like, I'm not going to, you know, kill Kawhi for this first round of the series. Like, we have to play the long game here. Um, maybe now 
against a tougher team. And there's no doubt about it that this will be a tougher team against the Raptors. Um, maybe now is when you really push minutes for your starters. Like maybe not Gasol and, as we mentioned, maybe not Green because they do have suitable replacements that can mitigate that. But, you know, maybe you need to play Kawhi Leonard upwards of 38 to 40 minutes a game. Maybe you do need to play Kyle Lowry at the same amount of time. Um, maybe you do need to play Pascal. And Pascal seems to be, you know, have the motor to do this and to do it well. So maybe that's the X factor. Like really stick it to the to the Philly bench because I don't know that their starting unit or their main players can keep up, right? And there, there's a lot of talk about, you know, how the Raptors are so good in transition and how they're really good on the fast break. I think that they're going you're going to see a lot of that. And they're going to, I think the main goal of this playoffs is to tire out Philly's starting unit and exploit their bench. And I think if they're able to do that, coupled with Nick Nurse not being afraid to push the starting unit more, I think this is going to be a very successful series. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Philly's bench is what's vulnerable, and they do stagger their starters, so they always have a couple in. But even those lineups, like if you've got, Simmons, Butler, and three bench guys. I mean, if those guys are Mike Scott and Scott's even out, so it might yeah. be James Ennis and maybe McConnell gets some minutes, maybe Bovine. Like these are not strong lineups. Like you can really take advantage. So um, yeah, definitely I would extend Kawhi's minutes. I don't blame Nurse for really any game except game one for Kawhi's minutes because he had the flu in game three yeah. and then the rest were blowouts. So like even if he wanted to play Kawhi minutes, it would make no sense. So, um, yeah, I mean, just the 37 was puzzling in game one because like it was a close game throughout and you kind of needed him to play like 40, 42, but like, so game one definitely should have played like 37 to 40. Right. But after that, maybe he was just getting a feel for it. Maybe he just like messed up and, (laughs) but Definitely, I think he'll be um, more attentive to that and he'll play, he'll extend the starters minutes. And on the other hand, like I did feel besides kind of not extending the starters minutes, Nurse did a really good job um, kind of with everything else. It's hard to tell like what exactly is impacted by the coaches, but just the way the defense was so um, disciplined and was just all over the place. And um and the offense like kind of got better as the series went on. Like it was really encouraging. For sure. And you know, I, I this is something that I don't think I would ever really nitpick uh when it comes to a, a NBA head coach, but I was really, really happy with the way he utilizes his timeouts towards the end of that series. Like, this has been a narrative I have been harping on throughout the entire regular season. Like, he is way late to call timeouts. And I just remember tweeting it in, like, game four and game five. There was a handful of times I'm like, that's how you do it, Nick. You call a timeout right then and there. And it's such a, like, a weird thing, a peculiar thing to just point out for a coach. But these are, these things matter, right? These, these, you know, totally cutting off momentum, especially against a team like Philly, being able to cut it off after like maybe a six, seven, eight old run, anything more than that, you're really playing with fire here. So I, I, I hope that that continues. I hope that he's really quick to call a timeout because look, the margin of error, like we, as we've been saying, it's very, very slim. So we can't afford for uh, any mistakes here. We just can't. Yeah, I totally agree that um, the timeout thing is, it's a thing like Philly, 
as much as their home crowd like is tough on their players and like booed their own players when they were struggling like that's a great crowd they're passionate basketball fans and it's going to be tough to play in philly games three and four and maybe a game six and um and yeah like you're gonna you're gonna need to kill momentum with like those smart timeouts and um really my only concern with nurse um if i can like move on from that is yeah, sure. um yeah, the Siakam and bench lineups, like, I just, I don't think you can play those in the next series. Like, regardless of, like, um, like he was doing the Meeks minutes for, like, two, three minutes. And then yeah, in the second half, he did it with um, Siakam, Danny Green, and three bench players. I just think they don't have enough playmaking. I think you've got to keep one of Lowry, Siakam, or Kawhi on the floor at all times. Um Lowry, Siakam, Kawhi, and Gasol, I think you need to have like two of them on the floor at all times. Just because that kind of keeps the offense flowing and it's like you've got two kind of core guys, two anchors, so that the offense like always at least has two guys kind of keeping it afloat. Because when you've just got Siakam and kind of like Danny Green's a starter, but he's just really a shooter, right? right. Offensively. We yeah. see him do a floater occasionally, but he's not creating plays for others. So you kind of need um, some minutes with guys who are going to create plays um, out of the starting unit. And just having Lowry, Gasol, or Kawhi, you've always got that one guy. And that's kind of a key for um, for those lineups. Would you agree? I would. And, you know, I think that the, that again, I'm just spitballing here. Maybe the, uh, the justification in Nick Nurse's, you know, perception of this is that he may be able to try to recreate that bench mob mentality from last year and that's why he's sticking Siakam with them because he does add that certain burst and he does add that playmaking ability that the bench wouldn't otherwise have however you're right because the other players on the floor <coughs> Jordy makes the other players <laughs> on the floor just aren't really doing much of anything so it's really easy for the opposition to zero in on Siakam at that point yeah, exactly. because they're going to make the remaining four try to beat them and let's face it they're not gonna yeah and I mean just to change what I said earlier, maybe not two of those four guys, but just one of Lowry, Kawhi, or Gasol, just because, yeah. like, if you have Kawhi or Lowry on the floor, like, Kawhi is just an ISO guy. He can do it as long as he has shooters around him. And then Lowry kind of, he's the engine. Like, Lowry plus bench lineups have been, like, a staple of the rotation for years because it's just always successful. Like, Lowry makes those guys better. His pick and pop with Ibaka works if, like, you're using that kind of, bench lineup and just Lowry can kind of be that guy but Siakam as great as he is like he's just not that playmaker yet and I think he'll get there but not in these playoffs maybe well this is a nice little segue um we have to cover all the angles as we have but we we also have to cover the what-ifs um it's crucial to know that this series more than likely won't replicate round one in terms of the speed and ease in which the Raptors won uh, there's a realistic possibility that the Raptors could end up on the losing end of the series, uh, despite having, as we mentioned, a more a, a deeper, a more experienced, and pretty much an overall better team. That being said, do you see a scenario in which the Raptors drop this series? And if so, what do you think the ramifications are if they do? I think I'm actually a little more optimistic and confident than you are in uh, this year. <laughs> I feel like I feel pretty like certain that their Raptors are going to win it. Like I'd be like, like you can't count. Oh, can I cut you off right there? Can I, can I, yeah, were, you, go ahead. 
were you confident or this confident against Cleveland last year at this time? <laughs> um, I wasn't this confident. Okay, I was, fair enough. I, was, I did pick the Raptors in seven, but like it was like okay, maybe. Like, <laughs> and I especially after that Washington series where they were kind of like iffy, and Fred VanVleet returned in the very last game, and kind of like things were not going super smoothly, even True, though they yeah. won. And it's like. I'm a lot more confident than I was then. Like, I really, the Sixers are a good team, and I'm probably going to pick the Raptors in six, but it wouldn't actually surprise me if they won in five. I just feel like, yeah, we're jumping ahead here, but I just, I feel like the Raptors are a lot just more well rounded and put together. The Sixers have a lot of talent, but kind of the concern the whole season has been. Are they going to maximize that talent? And I think the answer is probably no. And they were a more talented team than the Celtics last year, too. And while obviously the Sixers are a lot different now, I think it's kind of the same like macro picture, or in that like they're the more talented team, maybe, right. but they don't have a bench. They don't really have like great chemistry. And as great as that starting lineup is, like all the other lineups are at least questionable and maybe that's giving maybe that's a little too hard on them but i just don't don't see like how that lineup is or how that team is suddenly going to put it together and with mb's health it's kind of questionable and as much as like it's kind of a running joke that mike scott like kills the raptors like they're actually he's actually out for game one like he's got um i think plantar fasciitis and like he could miss the series and they have five good players, so I'm just not super worried about the loss. Um, like we can still talk about like if they lose, because I don't think it's like a hundred percent, and I don't might not even say like ninety percent. But I'm just like pretty confident in the Raptors. I do think again we will get to predictions later. Um, we can get more details into it, but I do think that the Raptors will take this series. Never will I not you know, choose them to win unless they're playing LeBron. Um, You know, I've learned that lesson the hard way, as we all have. But, you know, I do think that they will win. I think that, you know, talent, you know, is what wins out. And the Raptors overall are more talented than the Sixers. But, you know, there's this, and I mentioned this in uh, the joint article Peter and I wrote of Life and Repeat. There's this sense of PTSD that I think all Raptors fans have that you just can't shake. And, like, it, it was sort of prevalent after game one against Orlando. I don't think anybody realistically thought that they are going to lose that series. But I do think there was this, you know, the, the game one stigma and everything. You know, it just comes back. And I think that right now... Approaching the series, it's round two, you know, the the dreaded round two for the Raptors. It's sort of like, you know, again, against Philly, you know, there's this 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 deja vu and this predisposition of yeah, but it's it's us. It's the Raptors. So like, you know, we're not meant to have nice things, even though I have this overwhelming sense of confidence behind that and sort of eclipsing that. Yeah, I mean, I wrote about this before the playoffs, right? Like, I talked to you for this story where yeah. um, it was basically like, yeah, like, we're doing this again. This series is different, right? And, like, the anxieties of Raptors fans, but, like, how can we believe in this team when we literally just saw last year? We were finally beginning to believe that team could overcome LeBron, and obviously they didn't. But I just think it's so much different. And, like, my conclusion in the article was kind of, 
we have all these anxieties. There's going to be anxieties. Like if the Raptors are down eight at halftime, people are going to be panicking. Oh yeah. People are going be going back on their predictions. Like it's going to be the same story. And my kind of conclusion of the article was like, listen to Masai, believe in yourselves. Like this, this team is just so much different. And like, like Nick nurse said, I think after game five, like, um, we're not talking about our team's history. We're talking, our franchise history we're talking about this team and this team is going to create its own history and i really think like just looking forgetting all the past raptor failures like this team is the better team in my opinion and i really think um they'll at least they'll at least win this series and make the conference finals going into the conference finals it's a different story the bucks (laughs) we can talk about that if they get there but just against the Sixers, I really do think um, the Raptors are probably the more well-rounded team, and uh, and that's how it's going to go down. But we can still talk about if they're going to be eliminated because it's not a it's not like that small a chance. Like they're still the Sixers are really good, and um, and there's a chance. So do you want to talk about them? Yeah, I, I just want to. Yeah, I guess the reason why I want to highlight this is because the ramifications all center around Kawhi. And like, you know, calling back to your article, we did talk about like, I'll believe it when I see it. Like I can't have these, (laughs) like, you know, these notions in my head that we're going to just knock down these, these pegs and just get to the destination. Because I think that the, the underlying anxiety that is, you know, breeding the rest of them or, or re emerging all these pre-existing ones that we have as Raptors fans is this, we need to do well to keep Kawhi. Like that is like this overwhelming sense that matters over everything else. So I think the ramification is, at its highest now because never last year like even if we thought hey look we're going to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers as you mentioned in seven I think I said the same thing this time last year but when we lose I wasn't thinking DeRozan's gone Lowry might be gone all these people are gone I was thinking coaching change and let's just see what a new coach can do with this unit the ramification for this I think is a little bit more heightened because if Kawhi goes I don't know what the next step is for this team. I do think that without Kawhi and if everything else stays the same, they're still a playoff team, but I don't have the same confidence that they could push all the way for a finals run. And I don't know if Masai would just be like, fuck it, I'm done, let's blow it up and start over. I I just don't know. And I think the fear of the unknown is what bothers me specifically about this playoff run. I mean, that's a great point. I'm just trying to... Like I've been trying to just focus on the present and um and enjoy this because like it's been awesome, right? Like watching oh yeah just twenty point blowouts and just like this team is fantastic. Like I feel like even if Kawhi leaves, I'll be rewatching these games someday because it's just <laughs> so fun. Like, but yeah, definitely a, it's a valid point and um and yeah, that's kind of the lingering story over this whole season, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think if they lose Kawhi. If they lose in the second round, I'd be pretty confident that Kawhi is going to leave. And yeah. I mean, like I've been going back and forth because I'm like, Siakam is so awesome. And <laughs> it's just been such a fun season. Right. And it's like, I'll never think that the Kawhi trade wasn't worth it. I think the risk was a hundred percent worth it and worth this season. And it really just, it's going to hurt for sure. And like, you can say what we can say whatever we want about how awesome Siakam is, but it's going to hurt if Kawhi leaves and if 
this team has to be blown up or whatever happens afterward. But I mean, just at least we can have that consolation and that we have a great executive in Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster and those guys, and they have a good foundation in Siakam and Anobi, and they kind of have something going after it. But I do think if Kawhi Leonard, if um, they lose in the second round, that like Kawhi Leonard will leave. And then I think after that, like all those guys have one year left on their contract. They're either that's Lowry, Gasol, Ibaka, um, and I think like at least a few others. I know Norman Powell is signed long term, but that's kind of about it. And um, and yeah, I'm gonna be really sad because like Kyle Lowry is my favorite Raptor ever, and this is gonna be it would be pretty heartbreaking to see this team kind of blow up if um, if something goes horribly wrong and they lose in this round. And um, yeah, like, what do you think? It's kind of getting existential dread here. Yeah, no, I, I look, I, I do. On the one hand, I tell myself, like, stop being like overdramatic about it. You know, like I, I tend yeah. to do that when it comes to this team. But again, I've earned that PTSD. Um, but, you know, I, I look at the other teams that Kawhi is rumored to be interested in. There's no way you can be interested in playing with LeBron at this point. There's just not. Like, And I know you said he hated the Lakers growing up, but when you see how much dysfunction is being, you know, omitted into that franchise because of, you know, the Magic Johnson thing, these emails report now that's coming out and LeBron being LeBron, there's no way a guy like Kawhi, I feel, like speaking of ignorance here because I don't know the guy, but you know, from what I've seen of him, I can't see a scenario in which you want to play there. Going to the Clippers, I'm sort of actively rooting for Golden State because if the Clippers get eliminated in round one, I think Masai could be like, hey, you're going to go there? They got eliminated round one. We made it to round two if they get eliminated, you know? So I just can't see a scenario in which you'd want to play with a team that just doesn't really have the pieces that the Raptors have right now. And you can talk about like Ibaka, Gasol, and Lowry being gone after next season, like into the 2021 season. But like, you still have Siakam. You still have a, a pretty decent Norman Powell. So you still have these players that could turn into something. And I, we haven't even talked about them still having OG. Like, they still have talent on the roster that I don't think L.A. can replicate or even compare to. So I'm trying to just hold on to that and being like, again, talent wins out. Talent wins out. It's got to win out over weather. It has to. <laughs> I think another thing is... We obviously we don't we're not insiders we're not connected to Kawhi like we don't know what he's thinking and I think even the inside reporters don't know what he's thinking. Right. I don't think he's made up his mind yet. And um, like we don't know his priorities. Maybe he just really actually cares about the weather and being close to home. And in that case, the Raptors have nothing they can do. Right. And he's right. going to leave. But. On the other hand, maybe he really cares about um, about the team caring about him. And you've mentioned on this podcast before, not only as a player, but as a person and keeping his mm. health being basically the number one priority of this season and load management. And um, and as well, like the team um, just showing they have such a strong infrastructure, having Ujiri and Webster and like just this really well-respected front office, kind of the opposite of the Lakers. Um, and also, um, yeah, and also just being like, just constantly making the playoffs six straight years now, like it earns you kind of this prestige as an organization, right? And I think there is value to that. And I think the Clippers have kind of built this 
um, kind of a similar thing where they're respected. But like you said, like they're not as good a team. Um, but yeah, we don't know if his priority is winning or staying healthy, but he did say in his whatever it's worth, um, he said in his media availability, like the first um, introductory press conference, he said his priority for the rest of his career is to stay healthy and not to win a championship. He said keeping healthy and having a long career. And I mean, the Raptors have done everything to show him like that's what they want to do. Right. So I think like maybe maybe even if they lose in this round, like he'll still strongly consider staying like we really can't know. Right. And we're just speculating. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the Raptors can at least take pride in that, like they did everything they could to keep him around. And like maybe he's going to leave even if they make the finals, maybe he'll stay even if they lose in the second round. So we can't. um I'm just like trying not to think about it too much because <laughs> like what else can we do, right? Like just enjoy this season, right? You definitely have a realistic approach and, and a, a very <laughs> pragmatic one too. So look, I, I, I think that, you know, it, yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. You're being objective about this and I, I can't deny that. Um, I, I, you're right. We can't know. We can't, especially with someone that's so enigmatic as Kawhi. We just can't know what's going on. I think that's what's frustrating because he doesn't give any signs. But at the same time, like you sort of got me thinking about his introductory presser that he did on the media day, and like seeing how you know visibly, I guess comparatively uncomfortable he looked, like ostensibly that day. It didn't look like he felt comfortable in that environment or maybe like you know he's still getting acclimated to toronto and what everything's all about he hasn't played a game with them yet so he's maybe still unsure hasn't really formed these relationships with any of his teammates besides danny green at that point so he's very unsure compared to now where like he's doing media scrums he's sort of sitting back and you know when people are like you know what, what do you feel about the raptors not getting over the playoff hump he's like what hump like you know like he he seems comfortable in this environment now to that to that um effect like did you see that clip there was a clip from open gym like a preview of open gym or something and it was um it was a clip of Kawhi, or i didn't see the clip just the screenshot but it was Kawhi lowry and drake, drake yeah Kawhi, like shirtless in the locker yeah, man. <laughs> like, laughing and chilling together like by all indications like we don't obviously like again we don't know anything but like by all indications he seems pretty comfortable pretty happy so like like I said, I mean, what else are you going to do? So I, I think it's just encouraging because I almost, like you said, he doesn't give any indications. I, I'm pretty happy with that because it's better than Kyrie Irving announcing I'm going to stay and then being like, well, I don't know. Ask me on July 1st. Like I'd much rather have the guy who just doesn't say anything at all because yes. um, it's like, yeah, then you just, you, your team can just play and, and, work hard and focus on the playoffs and that's kind of what they're doing all right well with that let's get into predictions for the series uh you alluded to it that you think that the raptors will win this in six um you want to unpack that a little bit more and and, and sort of defend that go ahead i'm like i think i'm just too much of a coward to pick them in five (laughs) (laughs) i think i think i really think that it's not that they're that much better but they do have like like i said like they just fit better and i really think they're at such a high level defensively and they just kind of have all the matchups down right like every team kind of 
the Sixers had the Sixers team has kind of guys at every position to exploit different teams. Like if they were playing the Warriors, Embiid can just destroy Demarcus Cousins. Like right. that doesn't mean the Warriors, but they have a place to exploit them. And obviously, with Cousins hurt, like well, we don't need to get into that. But like yeah. obviously, they have guys to exploit people at every position, especially Simmons as kind of the point guard. That's just such a mismatch problem. And the Raptors kind of have all the things they need to match up with them. They have the wing guys, they have Siakam, Kawhi, and Danny Green, just guys who can switch, can guard bigger guys who have the length. And that's just so huge. Like you can kind of guard them in the transition and in the half court. And that's this huge in matching up against the Sixers. I expect it to be like a pretty low scoring series kind of an ugly, very physical series, a lot of free throws, especially for Embiid, maybe Kawhi. We'll see how that goes. But I do think um, the Raptors have a better half-court offense and can execute better there. And that's just kind of why I think um, I would pick them in five. But if, but I'm kind of accounting for the Raptors always blow game ones or one out of two at home. And then if it's 1-1 one, one at home, I'd feel pretty like I wouldn't be thrilled with it, but I still think they would probably go three um, one the rest of the series, and then they could pull out a four one win and maybe support the two games in Philly, and then um, take it the rest of the way. But I do think like those would be my two picks, like either in five or in six. I really am not. Um, I think I'm not like as high on the Sixers as you are. Unless, what do you think? Uh... My, <laughs> my my heart wants to say six. My head wants to say seven. Um, I, I, I would love nothing more than five just to ease my worries and be like, all right, because if we win this in five, like we're we're fine against Milwaukee. I feel like I, going in against Milwaukee, uh, winning the series in six or seven against Philly, I might be like, oh, I don't know. There might be a little tired. That means the season. I mean, the series was physical. Um, it, and also depending on how long or how far, rather, the Bucks and Celtics series goes, will you know play a huge role in my confidence with the Raptors in the next series. But I, I just think that you know. As I mentioned, talent rises. Talent is what wins out games. And, you know, this has been drilled into me when I was a kid ever since I was in, like, summer camps and stuff. Offense wins games. Defense wins championships. And the Raptors, I feel, have a better defensive team than the Phillies. And uh, the 76ers, rather. I don't know why I keep doing that. Um, The 76ers. Yeah, I'm I'm integrating too much of other things. Um, Two worlds, man. What can I say? Um... (laughs) When you know defensively, they're a much better team, and I think that the Raptors have better overall shooting capabilities and playmakers than the 76ers do. So, in that regard, I think that six is you know maybe a little bit more comfortable for me because I, I do anticipate, and I'm throwing this out there in the universe, and I think you sort of alluded to this. I think they're going to drop game one. I, I'm just whatever, let's just, let's, just, let's, let's just watch them lose game one. Fine, whatever, it's part of the routine now. But um, I think after that, I think it will be similar in terms of uh, the physicality that the Raptors demonstrated against Orlando. I think that will come back maybe a little bit more amplified against Philly. And I think they'll probably take the next one in Toronto, take one in Philly. It's so hard to pinpoint yeah. with this. Cause it's like, hard to go game by game. Yeah. But yeah, I, 
I'm probably I'm probably gonna go Raptors in six, but if I had to choose between seven or five, like I'd lean towards five, where I think okay. you probably would lean towards seven. Yeah. And I think it's like, yeah, you have to respect the Sixers. They're not gonna roll over. They're a very physical team and um and obviously they're such a talented team and like you said, they have arguably the best starting five. It's just um yeah, and it's just I really feel surprisingly confident, like just with the Raptors, with the matchups, and um and like you said, like they're such a great defensive team. And as much as the Sixers defend well, I think there are spots to exploit. There's Reddick, there's Harris, and their bench is just kind of a disaster. And with Mike Scott out for game one, like as much as I joke about Mike Scott, like I really do think um that would have been a factor for the Sixers. And now they kind of might have to go to Boban, who I don't think he can guard Ibaka on the pick and pop. And that kind of like those little things kind of add up, especially if it's going to be a close game, a close series. Right. So, um, so yeah, if they can take game one, I think they'll probably be able to, um, to get some confidence and then kind of put together a really strong series. Well, I consider myself an idiot. I do not consider you an idiot, so I'm going to go with you. So, Lior says Raptors in five, everyone. Put it on paper. Put it out and tweet. No, I'm kidding. Um, I trust your judgment, man. I really do. And, um, you know, I, I do think that six is probably the most likely outcome for this Raptors team. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just, man, I hope yeah, it's not seven. I might agree. I'm honestly, I'm torn. Like, I go back and forth, but either six or five. Like, I think I might pick six. Like I said, I'm a coward. Are they winning game one? I I want to say yes. I think I think without Mike Scott, <laughs> and like I'm kind of kidding at this point, but like I think like Lowry, I don't think will have the same kind of struggles. I think he should be over it by now. And um, and I mean, even if he does, like they should really be able to match them and um, and come out strong. I think almost the Sixers have a similar problem. In that, uh, in that they kind of need to feel out the series first, and they they dropped game one to Brooklyn. So, um, so we'll see how we come home in the first game. I want to end this on a positive note. Um, we don't have to get into <laughs> too much of detail here, but tell me you saw the Game of Zones episode. Oh, I did. <laughs> okay, outstanding, dude. Probably the best Game of Zones I've ever seen. It was it was hilarious. Like I really didn't expect the drake appearance like i saw them like, they made a caption with drake but i just i guess i just kind of overlooked it and then when drake yeah up, like the mask <laughs> it, was, it was incredible i love how he was like uh jacob jacob per, 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 it, him. Almost, it almost made me feel bad like i was getting emotional like like what if larry and the bar see this like they're probably gonna see it. oh they definitely seen it dude they definitely like, have um, they asked Pirtle about it, and he said he saw it, and he was kind of laughing it off. But like, I feel like Demar might not take it the same way. You know, I do think that they missed the boat on some things. I know, like, they only have X amount of minutes to make uh, to put this together. Yeah. But I would have liked to see instead of Norman Powell, maybe Pascal Siakam talk about Jakob Pirtle. Um, yeah, because that yeah. would have made more sense. And uh, I don't know if this was purpose on purpose, rather. Um, they didn't mention Danny Green, so I don't know if that was in line with the whole throw-in thing. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah, it's like a it's like a 
bigger picture comments on Danny Green being overlooked in these ties. Game of Zones, man. If, it, if anybody listening to this haven't seen it, and I can't imagine that you haven't seen it if you're listening to a Raptors podcast, but go uh, to Bleachers Reports Twitter, and it'll, it'll be right there. It's outstanding, outstanding stuff. You will not regret it. Yeah. All right, so with that, you know the deal. The floor is yours. You can promote any and everything you got going on. You can promote your Twitter, everything, man. Go for it. All right. First, I just wanted to say thanks for having me on again. Um, I think it's my fourth appearance on a Raptors podcast. Like there you go, which I'm pretty happy about. Like two with you and um, a couple of other ones. So that's more ap- podcast appearances than Simmons and Embiid's combined All Star appearances. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty happy with that. And um, yeah, this was fun. Um, you can find my work at uh, Def Pen Hoops, Def Pen Sports basketball section, and. Um, I basically wrote uh, this week um, a little thing kind of previewing the real Eastern Conference playoffs. So kind of we kind of knew all season that the four teams that advanced would be the teams playing it out for the Eastern Conference semifinals. And they basically have 12 borderline all-stars. Five of those guys are free agents. Obviously, we have Kawhi we were talking about earlier. And the stakes are just so high in these two matchups. And I think it's going to be really exciting. So I wrote a little piece on that. And um, yeah, you can find my piece also on the Raptors fan anxiety if you're worrying about game one tomorrow. So um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I'll have a, a link to your to your work in the description here as well as your Twitter. Um, I was part of the Raptors anxiety. I, th- I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah. Um, yeah, you interviewed a bunch of people, man, and I, I was proud to be part of it. And look, your writing's top notch. That's why I have you on the show again, because I consider myself an idiot. I don't consider you one at all by any means. So um, I'm really happy to have you on, dude. If you want to have another All Star, uh, you know, performance on here. By all means, man, you're welcome anytime. (laughs) All right. So, uh, yeah, Raptors in six, and I appreciate you coming on. We'll do this again, man. All right. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors.